and it looks like we're up and running again. Um, how's it going, Ben? Welcome back. It's going all right. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's been a while uh, with everything going on. Online teaching has suddenly become a lot busier, uh, mm-hmm. making more work for everybody. And uh, in, the, in the, the small amount of free time that you've got here, we want to make sure that we can get to the end of the world. Yep. Um, and see ourselves through it and survive um, the collapse of civilization like we're doing. Uh, so we, we ended off last time with our man, General Leo, uh, biting the dust, very sadly. Um, we are going to try this time to recover a lost character, Shadow, right? The ninja mm-hmm. assassin. Um, and we're going to deal with a floating continent, which is weird. Uh, I, I have some, some thoughts about that, but um, maybe just to start off, how much of this is, um, is destiny playing out? And how much of this do you put down to the evil uh, clown that we have wanted to fight for quite a while now? Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting question. And I think it's especially interesting because Final Fantasy VI isn't terribly interested in that question. Um, Like I know that we, you know, we're we're inundated with media, especially in fantasy that that is all about destiny, fatedness, um, like having this extremely important role to play. And we've seen it in Final Fantasy VI, like Terra especially occupies this really like clear destiny. She is the part Esper, part human. She is unique among the characters and she's very much sort of stuck in her situation. She has no choice. Um, But at the same time, like, you know, even in Final Fantasy games past, there's this emphasis about destinies and saviors and like cosmic evils. But here, you know, if there is a destiny, it's sort of a destiny that's stable, static. Um, like the goddesses or the gods and goddesses like locked in their balance um, in the Esper dimension. Um, But then Kefka interrupts it. Um, Like this is not part of the plan is kind of the message we're getting uh, at this point in time. Like as much as you can see this coming, you know, miles away, like we finally get Kefka betraying and killing Gestal and everyone's like whoa big shock didn't see that coming (laughs) um but you know at the same time like it's in this context of this literal world reshaping event um like Kefka is undoing everything that's gone before and just purely out of his own spite and his own lust for power um so you know you can chalk it up to destiny but it I always feel like it's more of an interruption of the destiny that is Um, like Kefka is a wrench thrown into the works Um, and it's a wrench thrown by his own actions. Like he is very much responsible for this. Um, He is not some cosmic evil. He is not Sephiroth doomed to track down his mother. Um, He is just a jerk being a jerk. Um, and I think there's something kind of refreshing about that. Like Final Fantasy VI confirms agency in a way a lot of other fantasy narratives tend to eschew that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In fact, yeah, he places the sword uh, in in Celis's hands, right? Mm-hmm. Um, instead of you know killing off one of your party members, uh, he gives her the chance to kill off the others. 
Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so I found that to be a really interesting moment when, when you bring up Sephiroth and Eris, you know, that's, that's where my mind goes is to mm -hmm. that, that moment, um, which seems like a kind of parallel. Um, and yeah, I, I, I would agree. Like I, I was expecting, you know, based on my very limited recollection of this game, I was expecting that Tara's, uh, parentage, like her her nature being part human, part Esper, was going to play into this um, this reshaping of the world. Um, I thought that that was going to be more important than it ends up being. Like she doesn't mm -hmm. even need to be there in your party at this point. I don't think. Uh, yeah, you bring I, whoever you want. I was I was actually like putting my party together, um, and they insist you know you can only have three, so Shadow has to be your fourth. Yeah. Um, and initially, I was thinking Sellas, Cyan, and uh, I think Realm or Setzer as my third. And and my wife looks over and she's like, "What about Terra? This is kind of her place, isn't it?" <laughs> um, and I'm like, "I guess so." And I swapped out Sellas for Terra, but of course, ironically, Sellas is the one who is actually fated to be there. Yes. Sellas is the one who shows up and has this interaction with Kefka and has this moment of like decision where she has to decide is she going to betray the party? Is she going to, you know, stand up for the empire? Um, Terra isn't actually crucial to this part. Like as much as I said, you know, she is the daughter of fate. She is the daughter of the Esper and the human. She is like super important. She doesn't even have to show up for this. Um, her role is totally downplayed here. Uh, it's not essential. Like you don't need her, um, which is interesting. Like again, here at this really pivotal moment in the game, um, you literally get to choose who shows up and who does not. Um, the people who are involved are entirely up to you. Nobody has to be there with the exception of Shadow on the one hand who's already there, um, largely you know, because of his own actions, again, and Sellas, who has to be there for plot reasons, but again, stemming from her own actions. Yeah, I found that an interesting kind of... Um a couple of characters to to highlight here like so shadow is maybe the most mysterious right per his name uh, of everybody in our group like what what his deal is who he actually is remains mm -hmm. unknown at this point although there's been a few little hints right um with the dog and realm and uh his sort of especially great amount of moodiness when you go to tamasa mm -hmm. Right. Um, apparently, if you like sleep in inns with Shadow in your party, you see little scenes from his backstory. Mm -hmm. um, and apparently there's a, an item that you can find upstairs in Realm and Strago's house, like a, a safety ring or something that yes. um, only she, Realm and Shadow for some reason can wear. So that's mm -hmm. like another like weird little indication that there's some history there. But I thought that it was cool, you know, that he's there to fill out your party and be the fourth member. Um, he proves to be really valuable in this part because uh, he's pretty, I mean, he's pretty versatile like most characters, um, but especially in that he can uh, throw swords. Like that saved me against the Atma yeah. weapon. Holy yeah. crap. <laughs> Between the Atma weapon and those behemoths, like being able to chuck shurikens and do 2000 guaranteed damage is, is very helpful. Yeah. A lot of the enemies in this area have a ton of health and a ton of damage potential and are just freaking scary. Um, and Shadow Shadow can do that. Shadow can, you know, take them out. Um, and I love that his, his special ability, right, the throw, 
is something like you you have to expend something for that. Right? You, mm-hmm. you throw it and you don't get it back, which a is a sacrifice has to be made. <laughs> exactly. It's it's yeah. very unusual because pretty much everyone else's skills are especially Edgar's shows this is kind of like the opposite, right? It's like you mm-hmm. don't have to expend anything. Uh the yep. blitzes you just have to input the right combo. Uh Celis's it actually like heals her, right? And spares you damage. So pretty much everyone else's are like an innate quality or something in them that, you know, makes no demands on you as the player um, or anything that you have. Whereas for him, right, you're like chucking old items <laughs> that right. are actually probably pretty valuable. So I like that um, kind of thematically as well. Um, but yeah, so then, but then on the other hand, you have Celis here uh, who pops in, whether or not she's in your party, she appears. Uh, and she is given this choice, like, we, we were kind of bemused by this a while ago when um, there's an indication that Locke doesn't fully trust her when you're in the, the research facility or the um, whatever it is back in the in Vector, right? But, right. but here, here she actually um, seems like she might, you know, might betray the party, um, but only so that she can trick Kefka and, uh, and get a sucker punch on him. Um, mm-hmm. You know, much good that it does, but, but still, like yeah. her heart is in the right place. Um, and at the end of this whole bit, it's Celis that you wake up as um, on yeah. the desert island. So, so why why is it her again? I think you know she sort of supplants Tara as the main character, quote unquote. Um, and I'm curious why that is. Why is she the one singled out here for this treatment? Yeah, it's it's not entirely clear. Um, like I, I think that it's. I don't think that it's sort of like a shock decision for the sake of a shock decision. I think, you know, Sella's in a way is the most vulnerable member of your party at this point. Um, Like as much as all of the characters have these backstories that we've, you know, experienced firsthand or interacted with on some level, um, like Sella's we've watched change pretty radically um, we discover her chained up and, you know, trapped, beaten, tortured. We, you know, guide her to trusting in Locke and the rest of the party, um, even when they turn on her, even when Locke, like, suspects her of betraying them at the Magitech Research Facility. We watch her decide what her loyalties are going to be. Like, you know, when Kefka originally propositions her in the Magitech Research Facility, like, thank you for being our spy, Um, She turns on them, but it's not clear what her relationship actually is here. And when we see her again next, it's with General Leo literally working for the Empire. Um, So her loyalties have been in question pretty significantly in the second half of the game, thus far anyway. Um, But then, you know, she's given this strange agency when Kafka gives her the sword on the floating continent, when she, you know makes the decision, yes, I will, I will protect the party, I will betray Kefka instead. Um, but also she's immediately deprived of that power. Yeah. Like, if there is anything that that sequence on the island with, uh, with Sellas and Sid indicates, it's her complete powerlessness. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there is literally nothing that she can do Like she's, you know, she falls off of the airship along with the rest of the party scattered to the four winds. Um, But we end up following her because on the one hand, she is powerless. But on the other hand, she's also going to be the force that brings everyone back together. Um, Which 
makes her a really interesting focal point. Like her development as a character is just staggeringly interesting in this game. Um, and one of the things that I find the most compelling is um, what brings the party back together. What like the, the, the actual inciting incident that changes Celis's whole attitude from being, you know, in despair at the death of Sid to, you know, actually making a concerted effort to to fix whatever she can fix about this crazy ruined world um, is the fact that she is reminded of Locke. Um, it is their love that carries them through, sort of, like as messed up and unrequited and confusing as it might be at this point. Um, like Sellers even has that moment where, you know, Sid, like Sid is sick and dying. She's trying to feed him. Like you go to the beach and you get fish for him and then he dies and you're alone, like abandoned on this Island. No one else, nothing to do. Um, and we've been warned, like Sid told us, everybody else who is stranded on the Island is dead, either of boredom or despair, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, really like uncomfortable. Like it just make it doubles down on the claustrophobicness of this whole island um, that you know people are expiring because of despair or boredom, um, and then Sid himself is apparently weak. He has exhausted his energy. He says whatever that means. Um, so you feed him and he leaves you. Like he dies, and Celis is like, "You said you wouldn't leave." Right. And she climbs up to the high mountain, and we get the music like that call back to the darkness and starlight aria at the opera. Um, Only in this case, rather than like holding on to hope, she jumps like she commits suicide or tries to fails, but tries to. Um, And yet at the end of the day, she wakes up and it's Locke in some sense who saves her. Like it's the bird with the little bandana. Oh, right, right, right. um, I, I forgot that little part. Um, but I, I like the connection back to the opera and I like that her fall this time um, is in some way like the, the low point for her. Um, mm-hmm. But also that, you know, if she's fallen off of the floating continent down to the earth. Right. Yeah. Fall really think the little... <laughs> <laughs> it's going to, in the, in the translation, they put it perk you right up. Right, that's what a, a leap of faith from the cliffs will do for you. Yeah, um, which is really interesting. I mean, clearly, yeah, that that's that's covering something in the original. Um, that it's it's obscuring for for our delicate American sensibilities. Right. Yeah. Um, but then it's the bird that has the bandana like wrapped around it or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like okay. it's it's just a bird with a little streak of purple on it. Like the sprite is really <laughs> difficult to decipher. But she literally wakes up and she asks first, Why did you nurse me back to health? And on the one hand, you know, you could see that as being directed towards Sid, like, why did you take the trouble when you were just gonna leave me? But she also makes a direct connection. She's like, You remind me of Locke, um, to the bird who is apparently, you know, I don't know if the bird is also responsible for nursing her back to health in some way. At any rate, like, that's the connection. But it is really interesting to think that, like, her leap of despair is very clearly connected to a leap of faith here. Mm -hmm. Like, she gives up, she jumps, because, again, it'll perk her right up. But 
somehow it does like <laughs> giving up empowers her um it reestablishes the connection she has to Locke. it sort of like as we saw in the opera connects them over great distance um her her giving up is sort of an admission that she needs other people she yeah. can't do this alone um which you know like we've been stressing that theme throughout like this is all about teamwork any of the characters stranded will ultimately destroy themselves um, they need to get back together that's really interesting yeah that um from from the point of like ultimate power right with the three statues mm -hmm. um which is released uh in kefka's sort of urge towards destruction and mayhem uh then we, we come to this like really quiet point in the game and this really sort of somber point um but then uh yeah like the the game really does kind of open up from there and i might be remembering wrong but i think that Locke is the last character that you end up finding right when you go around to find all your party members yeah um like it, it starts to become out of order. Um, so like you can, you can discover different party members at different times. You do encounter Locke before you can recruit him, uh -huh. but he won't join up until you have at least most of the party back together. Um, like, I'm not sure if it's everyone, but at the very least there are some scripted characters. Like you get a full party through the scripting of the game. Um, okay. If I'm not mistaken, we get, we get Sabin, Edgar and Setzer, I want to say. Um, uh -huh before we get the airship and can actually start exploring the others you have to kind of find and track down but like i said scattered to the four winds okay. um but Locke, even after you like the the sort of end goal of Sellas, her sort of stated mission is to track Locke down and he is not easy to track down um like you run into a lot of the other characters before you can even get to Locke. Um, but then, you know, even if you haven't successfully recruited everyone back into the party, because some actually refuse, um, you ultimately, you know, need to get people back on board before Locke is willing to join up. So yeah, it, it's, it gets tricksy from here for sure. Um, but, I, but I also know that like some of the original party members you can miss yeah. like shadow, for example, like if you don't, you don't rescue him from the from the floating island he will never join you again um, that's it that's what i was going to ask yeah so i i did wait i waited and waited and i think it's like within the last three seconds or something he finally yeah. pops up uh it's it cuts it's intense <laughs> like yeah you've got to have some serious faith there to to not leap you know right mm -hmm. to, to wait from and so if you don't wait for him there, he will never appear again in the game or he just won't join your party? He will appear, but he will not join. Uh -huh. um, okay. If memory serves, uh, when we rediscover Shadow, it'll be in one of the caves of Narsh. Um, and if you do not, if you did not wait for him, like he'll sit there and you can talk to him, but he will not join up. He will consider himself betrayed. Like he's not, oh, wow. he's not deliberate about it. He's not like expressive. Um, and I think that he's actually injured. Yeah. Like if you don't rescue him, like interceptor is there trying to take care of him. Um, but yeah, if you don't save him, he won't come back. Um, that is like the floating continent is the last time that you will see shadow, which is honestly a heck of a send off. Oh yeah. Like we don't have, you know, you know, we've never seen shadow this heroic in self-sacrificing at any time in the game before. 
Um, like he, and it, he's even cryptic about that. Like there are multiple times that he will leave the party. Like if you try and go back on the airship, when you get the opportunity, he'll be like, I don't deserve to fight with you because I fought for the empire. Oh, I accepted their coin for, for my work. And he says it again, right as you're getting close to Kefka. Um, like he'll leave the party and you face Kefka with just three members again, but then he comes back. Um, right. But he feels this guilt for what he's done. Like he, he's been betrayed by the empire. You find him like beat up and wounded um, on the floating island, but he still considers himself to have betrayed, you know, the world in a sense yeah. by siding with the empire, even for coin. That's cool. So, yeah. So his growth as a character is probably a, a lot like Celis's in some ways um, mm-hmm. in, in that they're both, you know, considerable compared to some of the other characters who we don't, don't necessarily see as much. I mean, like, you know, my, I think I brought uh, Mog and, and, Tara and Locke as my other three to the okay. island. Um, and Mog, you know, is just like slightly higher level, uh, yeah. all around awesome. Uh, but he doesn't have what we might call like a, a, a profound, you know, effect on the storyline here, here at least. Yeah, uh, he's, he's very much just like a bonus character thrown yeah. in for, for kicks. Um, um, but he, well, okay. So I think, I think that my party here, uh, was well suited, you know, to the dangers of this place. I liked having Locke because I could steal a bunch of really good stuff mm-hmm. um, as long as I was, you know, like invisible for most of these battles. So things right. kill me really fast. Uh, yeah. He could steal some good stuff. Um, I, I enjoyed the challenge of this area and I really didn't like its semi-organic appearance. It grossed me out. Um, yeah, I didn't get that either. Like, it, why? <laughs> it's got a real Cronenberg thing going on with like the mountains of flesh, and you yeah. know, or at least the suggestion of it. It's kind of hard because you know, old sixteen-bit graphics, but it is an uncomfortable environment, and it is like rigorous. I don't think I've ever gotten through it on my first try. Yeah, um, like both. I think I've played this game through three times and in each case I like stopped, went back to the ship, refueled, like repowered my people and then started from the beginning again um, because I was just, you know, wrecked. All my magic was gone. There was nothing left. Um, But yeah, my, my party worked out nicely. I started with, with Terra, um, Terra, Cyan, and Setzer, and found that Setzer was not helping the situation. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so I switched him out for Realm, who at that point I had like the healing staff on her, so she was just healing oh, every nice. turn. Yes. Um, and that was excellent because that could open up Terra to use the Apple weapon and do a lot of damage. And, you know, Cyan, I had him with the Genji gloves and the, the black belt. So, like, every time somebody hit him, he would swing twice and probably get the Tempest ability. And then I oh, yeah. remember the same. Like, he was crazy. Um, but but I had the thief knife on Shadow, mm-hmm. so he was doing all of my stealing. Nice. Um, so, but yeah, it was a, it was a pretty good pretty good work the second time around. Setzer again let me down. Oh, Setzer, I was, <laughs> I was no good with the slots this time. Dang. Um, but you know, there's uh, always the uh, the coin throw too, though. Yeah. If you're really in a bind, that can be a, a lifesaver. The coin. Yep. Throw. 
I, I was tinkering with that idea, but I had just spent a bunch of money because I did all my side questing. I got all the espers that I had missed. Well, but, that's wise because the world yeah. is never the same. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's now or never, which I think the, the, I read somewhere that the auction house is in fact still open after the changing of the world. Oh, okay. um, and you can in fact find the espers from the world of balance in the world of ruin. Um, so what is there that you can't do again once the world changes obviously you lose most of your party for a significant time you're yeah you're unable to do some of the stuff that you used to be able to do until you get the airship back but like in terms of actually things you could miss what is there like that you can't go back and do once the world of ruin happens yeah there are a lot of items that you can miss for sure oh, like okay. we've even talked about a few of them um like the the first genji glove you can miss uh if you don't you know go through Terra's decision to join the returners correctly right right um you can obviously as we said miss out on shadow like he can just not show up um i think if you don't get mog the first time around like if you don't get mog in the world of balance he will still join you in the world of ruin, but I don't think you can get the other two secret characters in Narsh, Umar oh. and Gogo. Uh, like, I think that's a thing. I could be wrong about that. Um, but as far as Espers are concerned, you can still find all of them, apparently. Oh. Um, they're all still available. None of them are missed. Um, I'm not sure if my sources are 100% on that. I saw a little disagreement in some of the forums, but the, the consensus seemed to be um, you can still find the auction house. You can still find the random dude who gives you Seraphim. <laughs> um, like all those people are are still around and can be taken or can be, you know, bartered with. Um, but items and some of the characters you can miss and miss permanently. Um, so there are consequences for sure. Yeah. But I think the main way that the the sort of like end of the world is expressed here is in your reduction to square one um like even at the very beginning of the game when you when you play as terra like marching into narsh brainwashed you're not alone like playing as sellers on the island is the first time you you as a player are alone that like your one character has no party to work with um and the game is pretty generous about it like I actually am really impressed with the way that they handle the the fighting mm-hmm. in this section. Like if you go on to the overworld, which I think you have to in order to progress the story. You gotta go to the cliffs, yeah. Yeah. The the all the monsters will die without you fighting them. <laughs> um like they all take damage over time. Yeah. Um like the, there are these little peepers, which are like the little squirrel dudes. Yeah. And they apparently have zero health um, because all they have to do is like they'll swing at you if, if they don't take damage fast enough and you, you can take some significant damage from them. But then they'll just like take damage, like three damage and they'll die. Um, you don't even have to kill them. They'll, they'll just gradually die off, which really sort of drives home how ruined this world is. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one exception, like the one monster that totally wrecked me the first time I ran into it, you find like a, I think they call it a black dragon in the little desert section on your island, which is another scary undead monster, like the ones that we found going up to the Esper area. Um, But it's got some crazy powerful stuff, including 
and this is kind of the weirdest thing. It's got a zombie move. Like it can turn you into a zombie. But since there's only one of you, you automatically lose. That sucks. <laughs> yeah. But I think it still drives that point home. Like that's the danger of being alone. This is something that is easy to fix when you've got four people in your party. Like you just cast a couple zombifies or drop the revivify and you're good to go. But since Sellas is alone, this is now an annihilating move. Like there's no coming back from it. Um, and for that matter, it turns you into a zombie. Like again, driving home this theme of the apocalypse and the end of the world. Like it's, it just, it resonates with everything that's going on at this moment. Like even the monster selection drives home how bad the world is and how badly you need your friends back. It's, I mean, the music is uh, really sad. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a dirge um, yeah. that plays instead of the normal overworld music. And, uh, and there's like a wind, you know, like sweeping over things sort of sound effect going on. Mm -hmm. and, and even yeah. when they play the darkness and starlight reprise, it's twisted, like it's darker. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's like, it's so heartfelt. Um, they just ramp up the, the sort of emotion, the sadness really, really high. Um, but yeah. Gosh. Well, and so you, I mean, you try to save Sid. I, I heard that you can actually save him if you, if you catch fish that move faster, they're okay. like healthier somehow and he'll live. I don't know if that's only in certain re-releases of the game or something. Yeah, I think that's, that is a thing that can happen. Like I, I remember hearing rumors about that as well. I just caught all the fish because, yeah. you know, why not? Like more fish. That's what he said to do. So, yep. Um, <laughs> Like, I, I have heard that rumor. It is possible that, like, the death is a faint and he is, you know, going to recover. I, I think that's how it manifests because you do eventually have to leave him. I'm, I, I've never successfully done it. Like, I've never saved Sid. Wow. Um, so I'm not sure how it's done. Um, but, you know, again, the, the, the very much emphasis here is being alone. Like, but yeah, it would be nice to save him. He he's a decent guy. Like we we may have had our doubts about him initially, but at the end of the day, he he really comes through for Sellas at the very least. Well, yeah, he's been nursing her for like a year of her mm -hmm. being in this coma or whatever. Um so that's yeah, that's pretty touching. Um he's also built you a secret raft in the secret basement mm -hmm. of the house, which is pretty convenient for when you're ready to go. Yep. Uh, <laughs> um, unfortunately, that raft gets gets lost like i really wanted to have that like in the original zelda just like cruise around on right yeah you can only use it to like cross the one river space <laughs> <laughs> dang uh but yeah um but so from here i guess our plan then will be we want to uh find our friends we want to take down kefka and we want to arrange these statues in exactly the right triangulation so that yep. the world will be fixed. Is that like, can we, can we make things go back to the way they were or like, what is our, our end game here? It's certainly not clear. Like not at this point anyway, it, it'll get a little, a little better as we go. Um, but you know, right now it's literally just Sella's like trying to find Locke and that's, that's all there is to it. Uh -huh. um, but it doesn't take a whole lot of exploration. Like the, the game strategically drops you where it's really obvious. Um, it drops you pretty close to Kefka's tower. And at that, at this point, like you don't know that it's Kefka's tower, but it, I'm pretty sure that as soon as you visit the, the obvious town nearby, they'll, they'll fill you in on, 
you know, exactly what is going on. Um, but I also find it interesting that you don't ever see Kefka again until the end of the, of the game. Hmm. Um, like you will never interact with him. You will never hear the laugh. You will never like have him randomly interfering with your affairs. Um, he is, you know, often his, often his tower reveling in his new world. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is, you know, an existential threat far away, not an actual character that will interact with the party. Like you are dealing with the consequences of his, his actions more than him as an agent in his own right. Um, but, you know, at the same time, like his impact is all around you. Um, like the, the consequences, the actual things that he has done have made the entire game new. Like everything that you do is going to be dependent on what he has, what happened at the floating continent, what his actions have ultimately concluded in. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, it's, it's curious to me that he seems to allow your party to do this then, right? Like what you're implying is that he could intervene directly and he'd be too powerful for you to overcome, but he mm-hmm. just kind of allows you to right, you know, amass your strength again and, and come at him. So that's, that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, I think there is a sort of distinction here. Like, I think especially of like the legend of Zelda Ocarina of time, which has a very similar setup. Like you've got the, you know, bisected world where you've got the past and the present where like everything is bad and the world has ended. And Ganondorf is sort of like up in his tower playing his organ all day, every day. (laughs) Um, But, you know, in the same way, Kafka, Kafka, like, is more logical in his behavior. Like Ganondorf is literally waiting for you. Um, like the one thing that he does at, towards the end of Ocarina of Time is he kidnaps Zelda and he's like, and now you've got to come and get her. Ha 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 ha. Um, Kafka, on the other hand, you get the sense that like, he doesn't even care about you anymore. Like you are not even remotely a threat. Um, and I think that that's especially emphasized in the final boss fight where, you know, over and over you will see him just toy with you. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't take you seriously. Um, and it makes sense. Why would he at this point? Like, you were no match for him on the floating continent. Like, as you said, Sella's sucker punches him, like, runs him through, and he doesn't even seem to be phased. Um, now he wields all the power of the gods, has remade the world according to his design. Like, what are you going to do? Um, a bunch of random scattered party members. Just, like, what possible threat do you pose? He's got all the power of the espers, all the power of the gods. You've got like one esper human hybrid and I don't know, like Edgar's chainsaw. Like what are you, what are you really doing here? <laughs> I mean, maybe you have the chainsaw if you're very clever or your wife is very clever. And tells yes, <laughs> yes. Um, but you know, like where Ganondorf sees Link as a threat, like, and, and sort of, you know, lures him into a trap. Kefka, you know, he's so much bigger than you now. You are, for all he knows, you're dead. Um, like he, you know, the last time he saw you, you were falling off of your airship. Um, and 
for all intents and purposes, like once we actually start tracking down the other characters, it's pretty obvious that, you know, they survive by the skin of their teeth the same way that Sellas did. Yeah. So no, he doesn't have to worry about you. He's not concerned about an uprising. Like there is no organized revolution going on. How do you revolt against God? Yes. Um, yes. This, yeah, this is, I guess that's the question. And so, um, I'm, as far as remaking the world in his image, is he the one who drew everything in like weird sort of dragon looking shapes? Cause the world map, uh, like if you look at it from, from your little, your little map picture, your mini map, they all look sort of like, you know, monsters, the continents now um, yeah. from a triangle, right? This like perfect image of order. Mm-hmm. We now have, you know, deformed monsters scattered around the world. Um, and then literal dragons, right, that we run into as we go along, too. Yep, yep. Mm. I think the most evident, like, example of Kafka remaking the world is the the tower. Mm. Um, like, when you explore the world map, even a little bit, because it's hard to miss, um, there's literally this huge landmass where the, the terrain is in the shape of, like, this spiral, like a yeah, four-arm yeah, spiral yeah. with the tower at the center. Um, and I mean, when, every time I see it, like it just drives home, you know, this is, this is the center of power. Like you, you don't even have to see words or have it explained to you. Nobody in the town needs to tell you. All you need to do is see that and see Kefka is there and this is his world. Right. Like the very land is shaped by his hand. He makes it look the way that he wants. Um, and I just find it like, it's such a great shorthand and surprisingly well expressed again, given like the 16 bit graphics mm-hmm. and, you know, the sort of like comically inept um, little cutscenes that we've seen where it like pans over the countryside. Like now, now we actually see, you know, what they can do when they put their minds to it. Kafka made this place and like every inch of this new world drips with his fingerprints. Like it, it's, it's just, imprinted on the landscape um huh well there's a there's a very interesting um just one last thought about this thing uh element to the the original script where um the emperor implies that kefka and celis were going to um bear offspring they, they were going to be like bread to um create his his army of um you know, Magitech warriors or something. Mm-hmm. Um, that's obviously cut out for the SNES version. Um, but that that's, it's interesting then that Kefka seems to offer Celis um, a choice, right? He doesn't force her into mm-hmm. that. And once she opts out of it, his response seems to be, yeah, to just remake the world um, to his specifications and not seem to worry about any sort of offspring or companionship. So in that way, he's like the exact opposite of what Celis is, is really after with her, you know, seeking for friends and for Locke in particular. Yeah. Like, I, and I, you kind of have to see, like, it's pretty easy to see where Kefka's coming from there. Like th- this has gotten way above his expectations. I mean, like when we, when we meet him, he's, you know, He's playing around with espers. He's tinkering in his research laboratory and he can't even figure out how to get the magicite. Like he can't figure out that you've got to, that they've got to 
die in order for you to be able to exploit their full power, which again is like a huge oversight for Kafka. Mm-hmm. So to go from, hooray, we figured out how to get one Esper to, to give up its magicite to now I control the power of the gods is a pretty rapid ascent. Mm-hmm. Um, the original plan has been like totally blown away at this point. Um, one or two espers is, you know, not anything is not even worth fighting over at this point for Kafka. Like he doesn't even care. Um, like you got to think of that scene where he's just like eating the espers one by one. And he's like casting those little star powers and the magicite is coming, is drawn into him. Um, like he clearly doesn't need or want anyone else. And he systematically kills off and all of his own allies, um, even the espers. The fact that like the espers die in order to give up their power, like this is perfect for Kafka. Yeah, he wants to rule alone. Um, so it makes sense that like even if the original plan was to sort of augment his power through heirs and offspring, that you know the minute that that becomes obsolete, Kafka chucks it aside. Like that was. It does not matter to him. He doesn't need a wife. He doesn't need kids. He doesn't want relationships. He just wants more and more and more power all to himself. That, that strikes me then that what he's really doing there is, is not offering Celis like a chance to be his paramour, but just he wants to see her kill her friends. Like, yeah, that, that seems, yeah, that seems right. Ah. Yeah. Man, Kefka's a real piece of work. <laughs> yes, he is. Absolutely. <laughs> Holy smokes. All right, all right. So we'll we'll work on, you know, breaking down into manageable chunks what we should do for the remainder of this thing. Um and, you know, when when you when you have some free time, uh we'll we'll pick this back up. I'll keep playing on in the meantime. Um yeah. and proceed as far as I am able to. Um yeah, I suspect we'll get a couple more sessions before the the game really turns us loose. Um like each of the we'll we'll run into I think again, Sabin and Edgar and Setzer and each probably has like their own location, their own plot sort of going on. So I expect like we've probably got a few more hours of gameplay before, before things. Before it branches out. out. Yeah. Um, Sounds good. Well, thanks again, Ben. Take care of yourself. Yep. You too. Yeah.